Hey y'all, welcome to Fandoms Culture and perhaps a few murders. I am the ever devious Al, and with me is the ruthless Spade. How are you doing? And the ever power hungry feline. Howdy. Today's topic is what characters do you think had a bum rap and deserve a redemption arc? One of the first one I'm going to speak of because I have two today is going to be Sailor Saturn. Now I'm talking about Sailor Saturn herself, not the spirit who inhabits the body of Hotaru Tomoe, which is theoretically her exact lookalike reincarnation. So I'm talking about Sailor Saturn itself, the character. Now I'm going to read a little bit from the wiki page itself because I won't be able to give it proper justice. Sailor Saturn is a fictional character in the Sailor Moon manga series created by Naoko Takeuchi. Her spirit resides deep within Hotaru Tomoe, a 12-year-old Japanese schoolgirl. She is also the I believe the word is antithesis or like the opposite of Sailor Moon. She is, so she's entirely apart from the other reborn nine Sailor Guardians and their human identities because they they are those. They're not inhabiting them. You know what I'm saying? They're literally the reincarnation. She is the 10th and last of the Sailor Guardians to be discovered, possessing dark powers associated with the silence and ruin, nothingness, destruction, death, annihilation, and rebirth. And that's made her a potential threat that she can wipe out entire planets and even an entire galaxy should she have the desire to and even have the opportunity to reset its evolution. Her deathly powers are necessary for rejuvenation, reincarnation. Also, you know, again, like the antipathy to Sailor Moon's proper healing powers and the power of moonlight. Now, I'm speaking on the anime itself and not necessarily the manga because I haven't gotten that far or read as deep into it as I'd like to. And in this case, she is universally, like, I, I don't want to say hated, but she's feared by all the scouts to the point where she's, like, isolated herself because they fear her so much. And every time that they fear her, they have to make sure that she gets reincarnated into a baby as opposed to living a full life. And it's just clearly not fair just because they're terrified of who she is as a character. And she, just because of her great power, it's bigger than Sailor Moon's itself. And it's made them all terrified of her as opposed to accepting her and bringing her into the fold. Because let's be 100. In any of the matches that Sailor Moon goes through, S, Double uh, S, Super, all of them are included. Any of them could have been absolutely manhandled by Sailor Saturn without an issue. But they are so damn afraid of her and her power and what she can do and what she represents as opposed to accepting her. I feel like it's like people being afraid of death. It's a part of life. The more you fear it, the more terrified you are of it, the more you can't embrace it as a fact in your life, whether it happens to the people you love or people you don't know. And that's what I see. Like I see like Sailor Saturn as like the representation of what death and destruction can do, but it also sits there and brings life. Like it says in her bio, she can rejuvenate and restart an entire evolution for a planet should it be necessary. From the ashes. Right. And I'm saying she is like, she's better than, than a Phoenix version. You know what I'm saying? It's like just because of how powerful she is. Like even though she is a solemn character, very solitary type character, it isn't fair. At least not in my part, because throughout the whole Sailor Moon series, it's friendship, it's power. It's, you know, their friendship is very much highlighted, how much they all love each other and appreciate each other and then lift each other up. But when it comes to Saturn herself, it is fear. It is absolute toxicity. We must keep her down. It's just hella disrespectful. I think she gets a real bum rap for her character just because of how strong she is. And it's one of those situations for me where if like 
you treated a kid who's really strong or really smart that they're just different from everybody else and they can't be accepted because of just what they were born to do. It's not fair. And you alienate that person and you cause a rift in that person's brain. It makes them feel unaccepted. And that's like setting somebody up for a bad guy arc. They're already sitting there thinking she's a bad guy, even though she's a sailor scout meant to fight bad. It's literally inherent in her powers and in herself to help and be good. But because her powers are at the point where they can literally destroy a galaxy, but give rebirth and rejuvenation to that species or to whatever, it's fear. And it's just not fair. That's a like nature versus nursery thing. Hell yeah of her so they could in theory make her into someone who would use that against them because they're being so cruel exactly it's on some bright burn shit like you're trying to make her into a bad guy i find a lot of villains in pop culture tend to have been ostracized by people in it's what in fact turned them to their villainous ways in the first place and a lot of villains go out there pretty much with uh, a demand of respect and that's usually a part of like the foundation of what their goals are. Now, I can't sit there and profess that I'm a Sailor Moon fan. So the question I would ask is, are they friends? And they just kind of let her be on her own, kind of like how when we're watching Teen Titans, Raven is very solitary. So they do give her her space, but yet they're still friends. The spirit of Sailor Saturn itself was ostracized because of her powers. Her soul is placed inside of the child who's her reincarnated lookalike. Now that child growing up was very solitary because she had an accident in her father's lab. And her father, who's really fucked up, was approached by the super baddie, which is a Phantom Nine, I believe. And he gave him the soul of Mistress Nine to put in her body to help heal her. So the girl, the character, Hotaru, is possessed by two people. She's Hotaru, she's also Sailor Saturn, and she's also Mistress Nine. So she herself grown in a solitary situation, and you don't ever encounter her until later on in the series. But in the very beginning, it is always known, it's been told that the Sailor Scouts themselves, when they were individual people who, you know, helped sailor moon herself when she was the original sailor moon living in the moon and living into crystal tokyo up there that they ostracized her and kept her away and literally only pulled her out when they needed her and then placed her into a baby body because that, that was how strong she was so it's literally pandora's box kind of they let pandora herself out when they needed her but then popped her back into the box so i can only imagine if the soul is alive sitting there waiting inside of a baby to be pulled out when used and put back in afterwards but the original sailor scouts don't actually discover her till the very end now at least when you're talking about her kind of being a representation of like death and destruction or like the end that comes before a new beginning it's very much like that innate fear of death, like you said, without being able to accept that it's also a part of life that you always see in things. But specifically, what I could apply it to, and this will be like a little extra wedged in entry to this whole list, mm -hmm. Hades. Yes, that's a good one too. Is always made out to look like a bad guy in popular culture when technically he isn't a bad guy at all. Right, he was forced into that job. Yeah, he just happens to be in charge of the underworld, which people automatically associate 
assume is the same thing as hell, therefore assuming he must be the same as the devil. Like, no, he's just taking care of all the souls. Right. He's just doing his job. Exactly. Sending them where they need to go. With Hades, in multi-different types of media, he is portrayed as the bad guy, and very few is he ever, like, really portrayed as, like, just the guy. Or he ends up turning bad because of the situation that he's in. Except for, like, Xena, warrior princess, Hades was just a guy doing his job. He'd send people to the Elysian fields if they needed to. He'd send them to Tartarus should he need to. But he wasn't somebody who was inherently evil. You just got what was coming to you when you came down there. But he himself didn't resent his job either. Yeah, and it's funny because that same media will always depict Zeus as being good when Zeus is a piece of shit. But they do get the pompous right. Okay, so in the Percy Jackson movie, they made Hades the bad guy of the first movie, when in the first book, he wasn't the bad guy at all. They just sort of made him into a plot point in the movie for some reason. It's the fault of the screenwriters. Yeah, they're like, you know, he's down there. He must be a bad guy. It had nothing to do with that. It makes me wonder, it didn't, I mean, usually... Some authors do have executive producer credits for books that get turned into movies. So it makes me wonder if Rick Rorden, who wrote the books, would have had some sort of say on it. Or was he just counting the zeros on his check? I don't know. Those movies are terrible. Well, the Disney Plus series may be better suited because they can tell a story a little bit more in depth because it'd be episodic as opposed to trying to truncate it in a under two hour runtime. Yeah, Hades doesn't deserve to be treated as a bad guy all the damn time. He's just doing his job. Leave him alone. Right. I agree. My choice is from the Harry Potter universe, and it is Regulus Black. Really? Yes. All right. For those who are not aware, somehow, if you haven't read the Harry Potter books, I'm giving you a spoiler alert. If you're still there, Regulus Black is the younger brother of Sirius Black, who we know to be Harry's godfather in the series. At the time, when he was younger, he did believe in pure blood supremacy, and he ended up joining the Death Eaters at age 16 because he somewhat idolized he who must not be named. Of course, while serving Voldemort, he had a change of heart. What really put him over the top with changing his allegiances was that he found out that Creature, which is the Black family house elf who had served them loyally for generations, was brought by Voldemort to the caves where he was going to test the magic's defenses for him to hide the Horcrux using the locket of Salazar Slytherin. Mm -hmm. When Creature was left there to die, Regulus had called for Creature to return. And when Creature finally came back, he explained to him what happened. So they transported to the caves. He took the potion that Voldemort had as a defense to protect the locket. And as he was trying to, like we saw in the movie, your mouth gets extremely dry when you're drinking that potion as it's putting you in a lot of pain. So he went to the water to grab a drink until he was pulled by the Inferi, which are reanimated corpses used for dark purposes, and he was dragged to his death. Oof. Beforehand, he did successfully replace the locket with a fake locket and a note that he had handwritten for the Dark Lord to find. And he ordered Creature to destroy the original locket, which Creature tried to obey and try as he might, he couldn't destroy it. So instead, it was hidden away in the house. That's why he still had it. Yes. Oh, okay, go ahead. He wrote to the Dark Lord, I know I will be dead long before you read this, but I want you to know that it was I who discovered your secret. I have stolen the real Horcrux and intend to destroy it as soon as I can. I face death in the hope that when you meet your match, you will be mortal once more. R.A.B. 
he really said, it was me, Dio. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of Elena from um, Game of Thrones where she was like, she drank the poison and it was like, it was me who killed your son. Like, oh! I feel like given his history and then no one knew he turned on him outside of assumptions and Creature himself. And Creature wasn't necessarily someone that wizards talk to often. So when it was recalled in various chapters in the books, Remus Lupin had thought that he he had probably bitten off a little more than he could chew. And when he tried to escape, he probably lived for only a few days before he was murdered. Meanwhile, Sirius thought that he had idolized him and then felt like he must not have been able to do what needed to be done. And he probably felt like his brother was never considered important enough for Voldemort to kill personally. Mm. But they both believed that he was murdered somewhat as a deserter and coward. So in that regard, I feel like he didn't get the recognition or redemption that he deserved, that he actually discovered what Voldemort was doing ahead of anybody else in the wizarding world. Even Dumbledore and Harry didn't find out until much later. And yet he was brave enough to not only sacrifice himself for a house elf, which no wizard really ever was known to do before Harry showed kindness to Dobby that we're aware of as readers. But at the same time, I, I would imagine fired the first shot to try to eliminate Voldemort's proposed invincibility. I was going to say, like, specifically him caring that much for his house elf seems interesting that he, like, was offended by it enough to be like, all right, now we're going to stop him, especially given, like, the standing of house elves within that world. They weren't really treated, you know, well. The whole thing to me is wild. Just him getting it ahead of everybody else and being on the ball and just being like, fuck this. People were absolutely terrified of Voldemort. You, they didn't say his name. Is some crazy shit. And the fact that he said, fuck this, I'm going to go against the scariest person in my known world and in the unknown human world so I can try to help start take this motherfucker down because I'm not going to be able to do it by myself, but I'm going to try. Clearly, he didn't treat Creature as beneath him because he brought him along he had him trustworthy he had his back on the way in not that you know as a house elf he'd be bound to him in whatever ways that they are he clearly treated him with respect and it probably thought of him as a friend and me looking back at how creature was betrayed and how he was in the book i was like who the fuck would like something like this and then instead of like dumping the trinket or whatever he holds on to it until he can find a fucking way to get rid of it regardless of how long it took he still had it looking to fulfill his master's wish and i think that's dumb as well one despite the crotchiness there's one thing that could never be questioned is his loyalty to the black family and regulus probably felt like because he had served the family so loyally for someone an outsider despite who he was coming in and disrespecting a loyal servant of theirs that meant something to regulus and also at the same time the fact that even though creature may have his opinions about pure bloods and mud bloods and such the fact of the matter is he does what he's told because as we find years later after the note was discovered by Harry and read to Hermione, and this was during the Second Wizarding War, as you said, it was quite a while later. They had gotten the information from Creature about trying to find where the locket was at the time. And he had told them, because at that time, since Sirius had died the year before, right. the house and everything in it, including Creature, were left to his godson, Harry. Harry, that's right. Creature has to answer Harry and whatever he says. And at the time, they didn't know it was Regulus until Hermione had recalled that there was some terrible things that they needed to clean out. It was things that seemed like booby traps. 
And she recalled seeing a locket there before, which is why they questioned Creature about it. And they saw the initials of R.A.B., Regulus Arturus Black. So they figured that they were one and the same. So when they asked Creature, Creature gave them all the information. And when they were trying to look for the locket, it was divulged that Mundungus Fletcher had taken it when he was raiding the house after Sirius's death to sell. I remember that. He was ordered by Harry to go and fetch him. Creature found him along with Dobby. And when they interrogated Dung, he said that some ministry hag had taken the locket because he was illegally peddling his wares in Diagon Alley. And they found out that that hag was... The bitch? Yes. Oh. Um, oh. oh, I know her name. Dolores. Dolores Thumbridge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So once they found out that Umbridge had it, they had to infiltrate the ministry, get it from her, so that way they could destroy it, which they successfully did when Ron used the sword of Gryffindor to be able to destroy it because nothing else was working. Can I just say, as a testament to how much of a bitch she was, and to add insult to injury, like I wouldn't use no magic on her, I just straight slapped the bitch. <laughs> All right, my next character is Ursula from The Little Mermaid, the main antagonist in Walt Disney Pictures' 28 animated film. See, she is a villainous sea witch who offers a mermaid princess, Ariel, named Ariel, a temporary opportunity to become human so she may earn the love of Prince Eric within three days. However, Ursula is in fact determined to sabotage Ariel's chances so that she can ultimately usurp King Triton's position as ruler of the oceans. In this, there was plenty of warning to this child, and I say child because she's 16 at the time, and we're talking about Ariel here decides that because she saw this nice pompous haired dude with a half open shirt one time in the water and saved his ass that she is now forever in love she's the first beautiful human she had ever laid eyes on hormones right exactly all right so with even with her dad telling her this is not a good idea do not do this clearly you barely know the man she was like no i love him i hate you <laughs> and then runs off every female in a disney movie at that time oh my god yes the writing i can't even get started on that but <laughs> with that in mind she goes to ursula who is known as the sea witch she has warnings as soon as you walk in the pathway because it's not easy to get to her and then when you get to the doorway the entrance of her lair and i'm gonna say lair because it's definitely a lair the whole ground is covered in kelp-like creatures that were people who reneged on the contracts and it is covered. Every single bit of kelp is a, a mer person that went in there thinking they could get something for nothing. And she sees all of these warnings on the way here, not only from her own handler, the Sebastian the crab, her homie, the fish, what was that? Flounder, right? Yep. Flounder, yeah. Yeah, Flounder is sitting here like, yo, this is not a good idea, my G. And she's just like, nah, I'm going to do this. He's hot. <laughs> he had a bare chest. So she goes into this woman's lair with all of these warnings, signals, has a chat with her and is able, you know, after an awesome freaking song and, and mini dance number, she's like, I'm going to do this. And Ursula's deal is I'll give you three days to win this guy's heart. Sign here on the dotted line. And if you don't win his heart by the end of the third day, you're mine forever. She signs on the dotted line, which is a legally binding contract because King Triton hasn't done anything about any other people that have currently been turned into kelp. And if you ever see that cartoon, you will see how many mer people have been lost to Ursula or been taken down under her contracts. It's clearly legally binding and verified and accepted by King Triton himself. Now, nowhere in this contract does it say that Ursula has to sit there and keep from trying to help her or oppose her so she can get what she wants in either direction. And I feel like Ariel put herself in that situation. She had every warning possible. And I think Ursula was doing 
exactly as she wanted to. She had a legally binding contract under OSHA law. Ursula fulfilled her half of the contract. So anything else Ursula does, be it go on some land herself and try to hook up with whatever dude she wants to or not, it got nothing to do with Ariel and her contract. If it so happens to affect it, then it would be have to up to Ariel to work a little bit harder on that. But when Ursula sits there, fulfills her end of the contract, and Ariel fails, gets pulled back down into the ocean and held captive, she gets to do whatever she wants with her. King Triton coming in and interrupting that deal, messing it up, and then killing Ursula at the end is absolutely uncalled for. She was absolutely within rights for everything that's happened so far. With everything that she's done, it's been perfectly legal and perfectly able to do. It might be fucked up, but not once. Throughout the entire cartoon, does it say that she was a good person? That's all I'm saying. I think Ursula got a bum rap. Just saying. I think that Ariel just wanted to see the end goal of trying to be with Eric. And at the same time, Sebastian thought that, well, we can help her out if we can get him to kiss her. And that's what they were riding on. Yo! Trying to get Eric to subliminally feel the me- and hear the message about kissing her. Thank you for pointing that out. She also had outside help, which wasn't against the contract either. So Ariel was sitting there going out of bounds. If people wanted to sit there and say that, just like or try to sit there and say if Ursula was going out of bounds. Ariel had helped. She had an entire ocean singing for her and setting the mood. She had outside help. So if Ursula sits there and does some extra shit on the side, she did it first. Just saying. I would like to just comment that every single time you say ocean law, I'm just like, ocean man. (laughs) (laughs) I will say though, if we're talking about like within bounds and stuff, technically Eric being the one to kill her would still like not necessarily be, I guess, Triton nor Ariel's fault per se. I mean, they also try to fight against her, of course. Right. He would be an outside party who wasn't necessarily bound to the laws of the ocean who came and killed her. No, the original contract. But at the same time, though, he clearly, you know, had a side that he yeah, wanted he to succeed. Of course. Party. That's true enough. So he would not be accounted for in so such paperwork. That right there is the physical loophole. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. Now, a character that I will not be hearing any counter arguments for. <laughs> she said, don't at me, motherfuckers. <laughs> is Adam Torres from Ruby. <laughs> it's because you like him. He's hot. <laughs> there it is. There it is, folks. Let's get the real. Go ahead. Now, I'll try to keep this light. I won't go into as much acid as I can get, but briefly, just to sort of talk about this character. Because mostly with him, it's just about so much wasted potential. Now, Adam is a character, a male, who was paired with one of the main characters of Team Ruby, Blake, who was introduced as a former partner of hers and a part of this sub-race within the world where he is a faunus. So he is one of the animal people. There's human people and there's animal people. What is his species? What kind of animal is he? Yeah. He's a bull. Oh! So like Taurus, like, you know. Okay, I know that. So his background is that him growing up or in the world of Ruby, there has been a long-standing discrimination against the faunus, against animal people. They are the other. They have constantly dealt with discrimination and were for a long time within that world kind of treated as less than and basically also enslaved at one point. That's fucked. Before sort of revolting. And today there are equal but not 
exactly equal. Like there's still people who will like look at them differently or assume that whenever something bad happens, they'll look at, you know, the faunus first. Now, born from this tension between humans and faunus came a radical group of faunus fighting for their rights called the White Fang. This group started out peacefully and was led by Blake's father. And when peace was failing, they became angrier and started to use violence. This came under, or really took off under the rule of Sienna, which was a ally, but kind of an imposer to his ways of Blake's father. Now, Adam specifically, Adam and Blake were both part of the White Fang, and Blake initially agreed that doing things peacefully wasn't working. It wasn't enough. Adam, who himself had been brutalized by human companies, specifically one of the main characters' father's companies, the SDC, and was branded on his face. So like, it was serious. He There's a brand over one of his eyes with the company's logo. He, of course, was more for the violent path. And he was encouraged by Sienna because when he once accidentally killed a human in defense of Blake's father, she praised him for doing what needed to be done because the humans were clearly trying to kill them. They were using violent force first, and Adam going that far was because they made him. He's absolutely a product of his environment. Adam definitely became more radicalized, used violence more often, and he sort of became like a leader within the group because of how strong he was and his ability to get what needed to be done done. Now, his use of violence started to push Blake away. She wanted to do things differently. So at the beginning of the show, they show that they were allies. They both wanted the same thing, equality for Faunus, but their I ideologies about how to do it were different. Now, what the show would go on to do is completely turn him just into like a toxic ex-boyfriend and make that his only character trait. Everything that I just explained could have very much made him like a Malcolm X, like a Magneto, like a Killmonger, where people could get behind him. He'd be a morally gray character who was still capable of being good. They turned him into an evil ex and killed him off. He lost all of his poignancy, all the shit he had going on for him because they literally said, they treat us like monsters, we'll become monsters. And it worked. Even the people of their like fauna society who didn't exactly love the idea of them using violence, didn't complain, didn't go against it because it was getting them results. If they weren't going to be respected as equals, they would accept fear instead. And they could have done so much more with this character, and especially, I'm going to try not to rant, but the fight in which they killed him, they also completely nerfed him. Half the shit that happened there was so dumb. Like, he was clearly much more skilled than they let him be in that fight, just so he could lose, just so that way they could kill him off and get rid of this character that the creators themselves admitted to not liking. So they basically ruined his character because they didn't like him that much and then killed him off. He could have had depth and substance and he could have had real proper growth as a character in either direction and they could have made it really well set up for him and his arc whether it be redemption or not and the writing just absolutely messed it up so I absolutely sympathize with you because I know of this character what you're talking about so yeah no he absolutely they could have written him so well and I think the fault in this situation is absolutely going to the writers because he had a good bad guy set up the scar across his face his redemption and trying to save Blake's father from being killed all the all of that all of that and then him working and climbing to the top looking for freedom for his people and granted like you know the whole Malcolm X thing he went hardcore and was just like nah a life an eye for an eye at this point because you already took one of mine I'm coming for yours so I absolutely feel you in that 
The difference is the rich backstory and complexity that he had was clearly a product of Monty's writing versus those who took over after he died. Yes, yes. And they got rid of Sean, which is the guy who was working with Monty during the fights. I would have known where Monty would have wanted to take this. They didn't know what to do with the character outside of them bending to fan complaints. And I would just like to add that a lot of people have noted that the kind of whole faunist arc of the story with dealing with the discrimination, which is basically an allegory for racism, right? Yeah, clearly. All the people who took over were all white people, and it was very clear that they were uncomfortable with writing about racism and, like, committing to it. And it really shows how half-hearted, like, this story that could have been really poignant if you were going to include it in the first place could have been. But they completely failed in that regard and just turned Adam into, like, a yandere boy to die. And it's a sad way to sit there and have such a good developed character to go. But I felt like they were going to nerf him when you saw the black trailer for Ruby. Because he absolutely could have made that jump in that separation bit. He could have made that jump. They could have been for it. He's clearly a powerful guy. They just showed both of them fucking entire train up full of soldiers. Messing them up all the way through. Just bat, 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 bat. With the fighting skills. Again, kudos to Monty Olaf. Killing it. He, like, after all that, he ain't making that jump. That's bullshit. Exactly. And I would even go as far as to say is him, like, not making that jump was, though he was, like, hurt at her leaving, maybe him trying to respect her decision at that point. But also, people tried to, like, defend Rooster Teeth saying that Adam was always, always abusive and he was always a bad guy. He never really cared about her. Just really feeding into this idea that he was only ever going to be a bad guy. Because one of the lines he does say, which adds to his whole Malcolm X, Magneto, Killmonger mentality, is when he's about to blow up the train, Blake asks, what about, like, the people on board operating the train? He's like, what about them? Because obviously, he doesn't care. His goal is to disrupt this shipment, which is going towards the company that branded him. So he doesn't care about them. I get that's not, you know, 100% cool and all, but again, morally great character. But it's meant to just show that he's a bad guy, not looking to sit there and give a damn about collateral damage unless it's from his own people. Because his people have taken enough damage, and that was the point of that. And I think that trailer, regardless of some of the writing in it, really portrayed. And just as a side note, that whole Ruby Red trailer has over 16 million views to this day, and it's more than any of the episodes following of the actual show. Just saying. Yeah, I do love that trailer. It is really good. The red trailer and the black trailer are literally my favorite. Excellent. So dope. But also, in the black trailer, for people trying to say he was always going to be abusive, he was never a good person, there's at least twice in that trailer when they're fighting, where one, when the like big mech comes out, he takes a hit to block her so that way she doesn't get hit. And there's another time where he takes a hit because he goes in front of her to defend her, keeping her from getting hit again while she's down. And he stops his attack to look back and check on her like he you see him reactionary turn and look at her make sure she's okay while she's on the ground right and people and because he looked away in that instant he got hit he let his guard down because he was concerned about her well-being he would never have given a shit if he was going to be that way from the beginning if that's how he was always intended to be right you don't pull them out of the way you don't take a hit because you're too busy checking on them you don't do those things right that is not evidence of anyone abusive i don't want to hear it what you do is you keep pushing forward. If they get taken out, they get taken the fuck out. There's always a new bitch in the future. That's what he would have been doing. He wouldn't have looked back to look at her. He wouldn't have taken a couple shots for her. He wouldn't help block for her. And they wouldn't be covering each other's backs as they did throughout the whole trailer. 
So everything after that, where they change him, make him like cruel and completely not, they even change him to not care about his own people in the end. That's dumb. Like they literally make him just the obsessive evil ex-boyfriend, which is just a disservice to everything that you kind of saw set up in the beginning. Right. Yeah, that's just so dumb. Clearly they created his backstory and his whole movement for a good purpose. And then you just threw that away because you guys don't know how to manage your storytelling because I don't find it a surprise that the quality of the show dipped when all the controversy about the behind the scenes stuff at Rooster Teeth was going on. I agree. All right, y'all. It's going to be the Am I the Assholes? And you get to choose between boyfriend, teacher, daughter-in-law. Boyfriend. Am I the asshole for refusing to tell my boyfriend whether something has to be done in the house? I, female 24, have been living with my boyfriend, male 26, for six months. I work full-time, my boyfriend does. Issue. Since we've started living together, I've done 90% of the chores. I have complained to my boyfriend a few times telling him I would really appreciate if he could help me and that I would like to come back from work to a clean house. My boyfriend has always been willing to help. The issue is that he wants me to tell him whenever I want him to do something, aka he wants me to tell him when I want him to cook, clean, etc. A few weeks ago, I started cleaning our apartment on the weekend. I was pretty pissed as I had a very long and stressful week at work. During the week, a pile of dirty clothes is piled up and a bunch of dirty dishes in the kitchen. I was pissed that my boyfriend stays at home all day and didn't clean neither the dishes nor the clothes. While I was cleaning, my boyfriend came to me and told me he was angry that I didn't tell him I was cleaning. So because I didn't tell him, he wasn't able to help me. I broke down and told him I can't always tell him what to do and I'm not his mother and that he should be autonomous at this age. After all this, he called me an asshole and said I don't know how to communicate. At this time of the incident, I was also pretty sick. We had nothing in the fridge. I didn't have time during the week to go grocery shopping as I had been doing 9 to 7 all week. After our fight, I went to take a nap and I had a high fever. I woke up in the evening to my boyfriend being pissed that he was hungry and complaining that there was no food in the fridge. I asked him why he didn't go grocery shopping and cook something and he said he hadn't thought of doing that and I should have told him that I wanted him to go buy us food. I broke down again and another fight started. I told him that he couldn't blame me for being hungry when I'm already doing all the chores and feel sick. Again, he called me an asshole. He said that he's 100% willing to help, but I need to tell him what to do. I do not agree with the fact that I should tell him whenever I want him to do something. And because of that, my boyfriend thinks I'm the asshole. So am I the asshole? Okay. In the nearly two seasons we've been doing this show <laughs> and you brought an asshole segment, I can I'll probably say with very, very good high certainty that this motherfucker is an asshole. <laughs> like, why are you a child? You're hungry, so you need to be told to get food. Food? Like, isn't that what your body's doing right now? Telling you by letting, making you feel hungry? You need someone else to tell you to eat when you're hungry or to make food when you're hungry. I'm like, dude, you don't work and she's working nine to seven. You need to be told to pitch in to do something when you're not doing anything else to financially contribute to the household. You're going to get mad at her because she ends up doing stuff that you should have already done autonomously to begin with. Like, what does he do all day? Stare at a wall? There's no thoughts in his head. I feel like he probably thinks he's redeemable because he isn't like, well, you're the woman. You should cook and clean and do all this stuff. That's what I think he thinks in his head. He woke her up and it's like, I'm hungry. Yo, real, she's sick with a fever. He said, hey, I'm mad that you haven't gone grocery shopping because I'm hungry. Fuck you, dude. Oh, my God. I kicked him out of the house. You're paying for everything anyways. He would have been gone. That's on some other shit. That's what I'm saying. Like, what's he do all day? He must be just staring at a wall because, like, you don't know when dinner time is. You don't know, like... These are things that you do as you see them or as you feel them. Like you're hungry, you know your girl might be coming back soon. Make dinner. Yeah. He must have to be told to like flush a white, you know. <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely that motherfucker who doesn't leave the toilet seat down. <laughs>
I hope his name isn't on the lease if it's a house or, or an apartment. Yeah, that's a whole ass other conversation. Don't do it to yourself. Right. Oh my God, we'll do that. Now, in this corner of the universe, the proposed potential rumored roster for the Young Avengers is as follows. Patriot, who we've been introduced to in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, being the nephew to Isaiah Bradley's character. Oh, wait, the guy that Falcon met? Yes. Okay. His nephew or grandson, whoever that boy is, would be Patriot. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Cassie Lang, who will see again in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, next month. I can't wait for that. Wiccan and Speed, who have been recently recast and are supposedly going to be seen in Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Wait, 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 wait. They're bringing back her kids? Yes. No fucking way. But they're re- they've been they've been recast. But the it's been known for months that they were cast in roles that seem to put them within age range of what those characters are going to be. So it's just short of confirmed. All that shit we've gone through with Westview and then fucking Multiverse of Madness. They're going to bring these motherfuckers back and give her kids anyway. Well, Wanda's got nothing to do with it so far. It's only if she even appears in the series will she then be able to see them. So are we to assume that Coven of Chaos is going to have something occur where her children come into being into our reality? Because right now there's no... They don't exist in the prime timeline currently. At the end of WandaVision, we heard her hear them. So that means they do exist. They just well, haven't been brought into this time. No. Because she would have had, I, she presumably would have had those children with Vision had he survived Infinity War. Maybe. At the end of WandaVision, though, her hearing her kids was definitely a precursor to Multiverse Madness. So that was her hearing a different universe's version of her kids. Yes. So right now, there is no evidence that they exist in this version. In the prime timeline, not until we see what Outside happens. of the ones she, like, fictionally created in, within Westview. Yes. I think it'd be total bullshit if she doesn't because they made her fucking grief over those kids over a movie and an entire TV series. If they don't bring her back, like, I, it would make no absolute sense if she didn't realize that her kids were in her fucking universe. Not for nothing. Especially, like, a third thing dealing with it is too much. We also know that she's not dead anyway, so she'll find out. Yeah. But, like, again, a third thing having to do with her and her damn kids is too much. Oh, my God, yes. And I don't know. It's just, like I said, just too much. Kate Bishop, America Chavez, Riri Williams, Hulkling, who is also rumored to have already been cast in Agatha. Hulkling? Yes. A different character who is, yes, a son of the Hulk and another character, a Skrull princess or queen. Riri Williams is Ironheart, right? Yes. Okay. And Hulkling is a terrible name. And Viv. Viv would be the daughter of Vision. Get the fuck. What? This is this is this is a lot. They better find a way to like interscope all of this together because this is this is gonna be a lot. A whole vision kid. Like, is she from Wanda though? Or is she just a kid that gets manifested because he do like osmosis or some shit? Or like Wanda's not her mother. It was just a creation later on down the road. So there is no fucking. No, not for vision. Okay. That poor guy is not getting any bonuses out of the situation. Hopefully they got it in during the Westview shit. You know that White Vision is there. And clearly they had, I believe they had a sexual relationship during the events of uh, like post-Civil War and pre-Infinity War because they were clearly in love with each other. So right. I feel like if anything was going to happen, it would have happened during that time frame. She racked up a whole body count. <laughs> you for real? kids. And now you're just going to bring them back like everything's good and she gets her way. Right. You're turned out 
around universes, man. We'll see how the story goes. Also, a Marvel Studios producer that's not Kevin Feige, but has produced multiple shows under their banner, believes that both Storm and Bishop will have a huge MCU future, saying that he already has tons of ideas that he can pitch to Marvel Studios all day. Ooh, Bishop? For real? Bishop and Storm, yes. They gotta sit there and bring in Cable. They have to. They have to. Because Bishop is part of the same uh, outfit that fucking Cable is from. So I want it. I want it willingly. I'm down. Matt Reeves revealed that he's deep into the story writing while confirming that the Penguin spinoff will indeed set up the direct Batman sequel. Mm-hmm. He already had meetings with both James Gunn and Peter Safran about their universe being separate from his so he's calling it the bat verse so far <laughs> they did like something that was it had flashpoint or something like that where they had like multi batmans multiple flashes supposedly as far as the flash goes that movie is still on track to release in june it has some reshoots that will happen later this month nothing you know major for the reshoots the rumor is that a full brand new trailer is set to debut during the super bowl hmm Interesting. They could paint a lot of money for the Super Bowl. So if Pattinson's Batman signed on for three movies, are we thinking that the Joker that was teased at the end, that was the um guy in internals, yes. will probably be seen in the next one? Yes, because as, as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned that because the day before yesterday, I saw a story that said that he was about to start getting into that chain of thought for that role. Him, he was the one that was the Joker in that Batman movie. Oh, I loved his character. All right, cool. This week also saw the what is considered probably the biggest leak in video games ever as Valve's entire list of assets were leaked online. So among them were previous unseen or cut content from notable games like Portal, Half-Life 2, Counter-Strike, and more. Damn. An idea of just how big a leak for this actually was, one of those files, which was for Counter-Strike, was more than 60 gigabytes. Oh, damn. And this follows the previous weeks of Rayman having had its source code out, Mortal Kombat 2. Wait, they're making another Rayman? No, this was for a previously released Rayman game. Oh. Ron Larroquette confirmed that as the narrator of the prologue, opener of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that he was paid with weed instead of cash. I remember. I saw that article. I thought that was so dope. I didn't read the whole thing, though. He was pals with Toby Hooper, who was the director of the original doing him a favor because he just happened to be in the same town he was at the time that he was filming. That's pretty good. He has done it for quite a few entries. Most recently, Netflix's Massacre film released last year. Did he stick with the weed contract there too? Because it's, you know, it's officially legal now, so he probably get more bang for his butt. Well, he said he got residuals because something that he had done as a favor back then in the 80s and the 70s turned into a little bit of money in the later 90s and thousands. So. Right. It was big. Yeah. That whole setup and making it really feel like it was based on some real events. Because you know the whole based on real events is very loose. Crime scene video and crime scene footage. And then like it was the one with the attack in the basement, right? Yeah. And then you saw the recording. You saw the vintage recorder that they had on them. Little fucking holders and stuff. It was so good. The setup was so well done. Of course it was going to sit there and skyrocket. And just off of that favor alone, residuals, you know he was making that. Lastly, the U.S. has now collected 510 reports of UFOs, 366 of those reports being fairly recent or brand new, many of which happen to have flown over military airspace. The All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office says sightings continuously happen over sensitive, restrictive airspace, highlighting concerns over safety of flight or 
adversary collection activity, noting that they were found near nuclear power plants or where nuclear weapons were stored. That's no bueno. Not even a little. Anyways, that wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next week as we discuss more topics. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like the show, please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email as always at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time, it's Spade. It's Feline. And it's Al. Bye, you guys. Everybody stay safe. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.